So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who live according to the flesh will die. <clears throat> but if you put... <clears throat> sorry. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father... It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, our God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever he asks, because we obey his commandments and do, not, and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. Thank you, Lori, and thank you, Bellissimo, for the bell music and chancel choir for the lovely anthem. And again, thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning. We continue today with our series of major Methodist or United Methodist Beliefs and Doctrines. And today's topic is the assurance of salvation. This is our next to last week. We will finish up um, in a couple of weeks by looking at Christian perfection through personal holiness and social justice. And last week we looked at, um, or two weeks ago, we looked at sanctification and the pursuit of holiness. So Anytime you would like to have more conversation about any of these topics or to talk about some of the major historical beliefs of our denomination, I would love to, uh, to sit with you and, uh, and talk with you about those things. One of the important emphases that's always been at the heart of the Methodist and later the United Methodist movement is the belief that we can have absolute assurance that we have entered into a saving relationship, a new relationship with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. Through the activity of the Holy Spirit, we can know for certain that we have accepted God's forgiveness, have entered into a new life in Christ, and that we are growing toward a state of holiness. This mystical experience of God was first articulated by John Wesley after his famous Aldersgate experience. So I want us to take a few moments now to consider Wesley's life, both externally and internally, from July the 27th, 1728, the date he was ordained an elder in the Church of England, until May 24, 1738, a Wednesday, when this Aldersgate experience occurred. During much of this time, up until 1735, Wesley took advantage of having been elected as a fellow of Lincoln College, Oxford University. A fellowship in an Oxford college in that day, and, and perhaps today, was a very coveted kind of thing. 
It guaranteed an income. It guaranteed a privilege or the privilege of study, but required specific services to the university. And Wesley fulfilled those services by being a lecturer in many different topics, and he would gladly have remained at Oxford for the rest of his life, but God had other plans, as God often does when we think we've got it all figured out. He was naturally a university kind of guy. He loved the academic setting. He loved the study and the collegiality with all the other folks there, but called to spend his life in a vastly different way. So when the call from God came to John Wesley that God had other plans for him, he turned his back on his personal desires, put aside his love for the university, and followed where God led, where God was calling. But he always said that he loved Oxford more than any other spot in England. And I would encourage you someday, as as travel opens back up, if you've never done this, Mickey and I, about five years ago, had the privilege of going to England on the John Wesley Heritage Tour. So when I read about these places and study about these places, they seem much more real to have walked in those places where Wesley walked, at Oxford and in other places. It's an amazing founder we have of this church of ours, and so much can still be seen and learned about who he was. Now, he was supported by the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel in Foreign Parts. That's a mouthful. So John Wesley, along with his brother Charles and two others, United Methodists, set sail for Georgia October the 21st, 1735. This was in response to an invitation from General Oglethorpe. And the mission was largely a failure. The Native American folks and John Wesley had expected to convert so many of these people, but they were not as responsive to his message as he hoped. And the colonists, they didn't handle so well Wesley's strict observance on spiritual disciplines and the way they were to live their lives and and the things that he brought to them that they they pushed back on and, and didn't want to be a part of that. And to be added to all of that, was his unfortunate love affair with Miss Sophie Hopke. And that's a book, that's a story unto itself. And maybe we talk about that another time in in more detail. That was not his greatest thing, getting along with the women in his life with Sophie Hopke. Later he married. And the story is that when his wife died, he was not there. And he announced to the crowd where he was speaking that day, he said, and they tell me earlier today, that my wife has died, and then he went on with what he was doing. Uh, That was not one of his strong points. Left Georgia December the 2nd, 1737, arrived back in England February the 1st, 1738. Now the failure in Georgia and the humiliation that came from his experiences in Savannah marked the beginning of the breakdown of Wesley's pre-Aldersgate salvation experience, salvation by works religion that he had bought into, and the voyage home, which permitted a lot of time for introspection and reflection and prayer about who he was and what God was calling him to do and why there seemed to be this emptiness, this hole in his heart that he was having trouble filling in. Wesley reached England and 
He was, as the Moravians said, a man distracted. And certainly a man with a broken and contrite heart. What I have myself learned in the meantime, he wrote in his journal, while what I least of all expected, that I who went to America to convert others was never myself converted to God. That was problematic. Now at some moment late on his voyage home or very early after he landed, Wesley saw the first little gleam of light and he was convicted of sin. He said, he wrote, I have hope. But that if I shall seek, I shall find Christ. And having found him, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God by faith. So in Wesley's own words, his, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the salvation by faith, he was beginning to sense what he needed to have that wholeness and that completeness and to know God as he should. And so in a brief time, Wesley was thoroughly convinced that none of the devices he had been following were going to bring him any closer to God. Not that these devices and these disciplines were evil, but they just were not going to fill the emptiness in his soul that he so longed to have filled. He continued to struggle with what faith really was, a struggle that at times led him through valleys of darkness and despair. And maybe some of us can look back in our lives and remember some of those moments as well. And then came that Wednesday evening, May the 24th, 1738, on Aldersgate Street. Here again, if you will, these familiar words, familiar to most United Methodist Christians or other Christians from other Wesleyan groups across the years. These words that still stir me when I hear them after all these years. He said, in the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans, Martin Luther's preface. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And that's why that expression has become so much a part of who we are. Strangely warmed is the way he described it. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given me that I had my sins taken away, even my sins. And I was saved from the law of sin and death. And I began to pray with my might for those who had in a more especial way despitefully used and persecuted me. And we might say that's one of the marks of a true Methodist, maybe a true Christian, that as we come to know Christ more and more in our hearts, we are able to pray for those who've done us harm and those who've spoken ill of us. And that's a difficult thing to do and impossible, I believe, without Christ. I then openly testified to all there what I now felt in my heart. On this memorable evening, John Wesley's soul, and by the same token, Methodism, as one writer said, rose upon the world. This was a turning point. Bishop William Ragsdale Cannon, and some of you may remember Bishop Cannon. He was the dean of the Candler School of Theology before he was elected as a bishop and eventually came back to serve in North Georgia and was, in fact, the bishop who ordained me. 
quite a character there. If I start telling Bishop Cannon stories, we'd be here all morning. There are a lot of stories, some of them true and some of them just good stories, but we'll, we'll save those for another day. But in his book, The Theology of John Wesley, and it's a classic, it's a book that was given to me years ago that's one of those keeper kind of books. He writes about the Aldersgate experience, and he said, Some have felt that assurance was the quest of Wesley's life and that his contribution to theology can be understood only in the light of his discovery of experience at the center of salvation, the burning focus of faith. But, Bishop Cannon said, this is to mistake the byproduct of a phenomenon for the phenomenon itself. True, assurance did come, but it came along with and is an aspect of something else. What Wesley learned at Aldersgate and in the events which preceded and led up to it is that mortals are justified by the grace of God alone and that this grace is given only through faith. Faith given by God's grace is that which enables us to have assurance and to feel the power of God at work in our lives. Kill that faith through disobedience and a willful inclination to sin And it follows as the night, the day, that communion with God is cut off and that sense of assurance is no more. Following his experience at Aldersgate, Wesley wrote, and he was talking about portions of um, the passage we read earlier from Romans, the one that Laurie read so well. The Spirit itself bore witness with my spirit that I was a child of God, gave me an evidence himself, and I immediately cried, Abba, Father, The witness of the Spirit crying out, therefore, a role of great significance in Wesley's thought. For it's that inward experience, that testimony of the Holy Spirit that that is so important to who we are as God's people. It's the means by which an inward experience is made manifest and seen and experienced. We are most readily convinced of the reality of those things which we can see with our own eyes, and we are convinced of the reality of those things that we experience in our own hearts. It's for real. Max Stokes, who was another bishop, who was the assistant dean at Candler when Bishop Cannon was there and later became a bishop in Mississippi, wrote in one of his little books, Major Methodist Beliefs, And he was addressing what it means to be a child of God and to know this assurance. He said, we believe in assurance because the New Testament affirms it. Just as a child increasingly learns that he or she belongs to their earthly parents, so every Christian knows that he or she belongs to God. Now and then, we have our doubts. But the continuing state of our souls is a continuing sense of assurance that we know. We know God loves us. We know God lives in our hearts, not just words. We've experienced it. That's so important to who we are. And Wesley wrote later in a pamphlet entitled A Plain Account of Christianity, of Genuine Christianity, may every real Christian say, I now am assured that these things are so. I experienced them in my own breast, in my own heart. What Christianity promised is accomplished in my soul. 
We can have the assurance of our salvation. Not because of anything we've said or anything we've done or the way we've lived our lives. Not because of any innate abilities we possess, but because and only because of what Christ has done for us. And I know that comes through over and over again in our major Methodist beliefs, but that's at the heart of who we are. The passage of scripture which refers to our salvation, to our eternal life, or the passages are too numerous to mention. As you read through scripture, especially as you read through the New Testament, look for those passages that speak of that experience of coming to wholeness and fullness in Christ. None of the ones, though, as you read through all of them, none of those passages say that that experience of salvation has to be accompanied by a certain feeling. And, and we put so much emphasis on that. And I remember a colleague of mine who died a few years ago, and some of you may have known somewhere along the way, the Reverend Bob Gillespie, he was a character. He was known for lots of things, but he was known for his Elvis imitations, and I'm not sure how that fits in with being a pastor, but maybe he could sing, and maybe that's part of who he was. But he was a delightful guy, had a great sense of humor. And I remember him saying he had come to preach a revival service for us at one of the little churches I served in Washington, Georgia, years ago. And he said, as far as this experience of salvation, and thinking it had to be accompanied by a certain feeling, he said, if you want cold chills, take a cold shower. If you want to feel tingly all over, stick a key in an electrical outlet. If you want to be saved, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've thought about that a lot. We put so much emphasis sometimes on it. It's got to feel just this way. And God moves in so many ways in our hearts. And feelings can be fickle. But that underlying belief is so important. I'm not saying that emotions are not involved in our salvation experience. But I am saying that we cannot base all of that on our emotions alone. Strong feelings may or may not accompany the assurance of our salvation. But most assuredly, we can be certain of our salvation without remaining on an emotional high 24 hours a day, all the days of our life. In fact, people who come across that way sometimes scare me just a little bit and and I sometimes go the other way when I see them. Just a moment of disclosure. But another thing I want to mention is that the assurance of our salvation has to do with more than just the assurance that one day we're going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. The assurance of our salvation is a here and now kind of thing. Any ability to witness to our faith in Christ is determined on that assurance that we feel in our hearts. Any ability we have to serve others and to give generously of our time and our resources and our energy is based on that relationship with Christ. Any ability to help those in this world and to walk with those who are broken and forsaken and oppressed and put aside and looked down on. We can't do that in any real way without knowing that Christ is in our heart and is calling us to do that. Any ability we have to stand for what's right and for what's true is determined to a great extent by being assured of our salvation. I remember the story I heard 
years ago. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's a short one. It's about a very shy seminary student who had taken a young woman out to dinner one night, and after dinner they, they went for a walk, and they sat down on a, a bench in the park by a lake in moonlight. Very beautiful, very romantic kind of setting. And not knowing exactly what to talk about, the young man finally decided, well, what have I heard in class recently? And he started talking about the hereafter. And he went on for about 30 or 45 minutes talking about the hereafter. And finally, the young woman held up her hand and said, stop. Let me say something. If you're not hereafter, what I'm hereafter, then you're going to be here after I'm gone. So, um, Hopefully, he changed topics of conversation. Being sure of our salvation has much to do with determining what's going on in our hearts and in this world right now, as it does to do with the hereafter, though that assurance is certainly there as well. We're reminded of Jesus' promise in Matthew 28, 20, I'm with you always. That's now. And that's in the life to come. The doctrine of assurance in Wesley's life was his all the days of his life. And it's a fact worth remembering that the last words, reportedly, that John Wesley spoke were, the best is God is with us. There's a story about a group of climbers who had arranged to ascend one of the high peaks in the Alps and all went very well at first and then they reached one of these high places and they had a place to cross that was a little iffy, a little scary looking. And one of the folks going on the climb got scared to death and wanted to turn around and wanted to back up. But the guide gripped his hand, held him tightly, and he said, these hands have never lost anyone and the young man was able to relax and to make the passage safely confidence was restored God's hands God's large and powerful and gracious hands have never lost anyone who has willingly placed themselves in those hands and of that we can be assured today and always. Amen.